0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Grad Podcast. My name is Ruben Williams and usually I'm always joined by my great friend, Ryan Walker. However, today, Ryan has headed up north to the Gold Coast to attend the Women in Sport Summit hosted by Ministry of Sport. So you've just got me today. I hope that's all right. I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable. I feeling a bit lonely in this room by myself, but we have an incredible chat coming up for you very, very shortly. If you are new to the show, uh, myself and Ryan, we're two mates who met working at Cricket Australia together. And now we run this podcast so that other people can get their dream job in the sports industry. So you might be trying to find your first job in sport. You might be 15 years into a career in another industry trying to find a job in sport. Whatever it is, we've got guests in interviews and tips and tactics on how to make that jump into the sports industry. So, uh, And today, we've got a stellar stellar guest in Kerry Gassner, who I'll get to shortly. But if you want to follow us, we're quite active on LinkedIn. Head over to there where you can connect with us. Please send us a message. Uh, we always love a personalized message, too, if you're going to connect with us, too. Tell us if you've listened to an episode Um, But we also run a great community called the Sports Grad Community. Now, this is for people who are serious about connecting with others in sport, who want to learn from like-minded people, or pursuing a similar sort of goal. If you want to join our community members, there's over 400 of them hanging out on Discord uh, and those people are joined by over 40 organisations in the sports industry who are inside to hire these people. Now, together, they've been able to create over 240 jobs for people in the sports industry. So uh, jump over to that if you want to find a job in sport. Um, Speaking of jobs in sport... Uh, one of our favorites has recently got a job in sport. His name is Brant Hubber. He's recently got a job at the AFL as the Commercial Partnerships Coordinator. We absolutely love the uh, journey that Brant has been on. We're going to have him on the show next week, in fact, just to kind of hear about what he has done to make that jump into a dream job. So well done to you, Brant. But if you like the AFL or if you like Brant and you want a job in sport, you want to grow a career in sport, check out the sports grad community there is something in there for everyone no matter if you're job hunting or if you're hiring or if you're just trying to get that next promotion so www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community is where you can find all the details on that now deakin university has been a huge supporter of sports grad since day dot and if you're currently studying or you've just finished studying having a post-grad qualification in sport management on your resume can give you a huge leg up over other potential candidates who are applying for the same role. So if you want to pump up your resume and get specialised knowledge in sport behaviour, law, marketing, ethics, finance, governance, you name it, Deakin University's post-grad Master of Business in Sport Management is not one of, but the best, In Australia ranked at number one. So add a a post-grad qualification to your resume and that's our quick tip for this episode. Now, on to our guest, Kerry Gasner. I'm super excited to introduce you to Kerry. He is a phenomenal person and here's a bit about his background. So Kerry's very different to a lot of the guests that we've had on this show. Kerry started out his career as a truck driver and he was driving trucks around the country for the first seven years of his professional life before he followed his father's footsteps into the police force. And he spent 15 years in the police force working up the ranks into detective, sergeant, that kind of thing, and was on a very steady path to being there for the rest of his life. It's very comfortable. They look after you for a long time. And after a while, he got a bit of an itch. Someone opened his eyes to the potential of working in sport, an area that he loved. He's got a good background in baseball and coaching as well, and. He ended up making the jump into the AFL and worked in the integrity department there. Before, after five years of a career at the AFL, he then moved over to venue management at Cadinia Park down in Geelong where the Geelong Cats play all their home games and, as you'll hear, also hosts stellar concerts such as the Foo Fighters, of all people. Since then, he's jumped over to the Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust or MOPT, if you hear it referred to as that, where he is the venue manager of John Kane Arena, which sits alongside Rod Laver Arena. are these are the two premier courts of the Australian Open for those wondering. So Kerry is an amazing guy. He's had an incredible journey, very untraditional journey, but one that I think will help a lot of people if you're trying to make a jump from one career into another, or if you're just looking for advice on how to grow a career as well. Kerry's got some, some stellar pieces of wisdom. Um, Now, a couple of things to look out for. Kerry talks about the fact that you need to have stories to tell in interviews, because when you get to an interview, you've got to have something to say. And so if you listen to the breadth of experience that Kerry has to offer, you'll understand why this former policeman has been able to jump ship into the AFL. So stick around on how he went about building out his deck of cards as he referred to it. Secondly, if you want to make the jump into sport, you need to know why you want to work in sport. You need to have a reason. It's not enough just to say, I love sport. So have a listen to how Kerry articulates how he is connected to what he's do, what he does. And some of the stories about the impact he's been able to create Uh incredibly special. And it's no wonder why he loves his job. And it's no wonder why he's been given the position that he's in because he is so connected to what he does. And he's even built a ritual out of making sure he's continuously connected to what he does. I won't give it away just yet, but I think a lot of people are going to look out for it now after listening to this. And finally, have a listen to how he was able to transfer his skills from the police force into the AFL and venues. If you're thinking, I've got all this experience in other industry, I don't know what it has to do with the sports industry, just have a listen to Kerry and how he articulates the way that what he's built in one industry has set him up for success in the sports industry. So I'll leave it at that. Enjoy this chat with Kerry Gassner. Kerry, welcome to the podcast. Great to be
1: here, Ruben. uh, I actually am privileged to actually be sitting (laughs) in this chair. I've I've watched quite a few of these um over the over the period so to be sitting here now it's a bit surreal but it's good nice to be here face to face
0: no our pleasure and I thought I um I thought I better start by just by showcasing listeners how connected the sports industry is and share a bit about how we came to connect yeah so Nathan O'Brien has been the glue between you and I now back in 2019 Nathan O'Brien was I think the 11th or 12th ever YouTube interview I did before there was ever a podcast it was a very amateur YouTube channel Nathan was a, a guest on that you spent a year working with Nathan down at Cadinia Park. Correct. And uh, three years after I chatted with Nathan, we bumped into each other at the Grand Prix, had a coffee after that, and he said, Reuben, there's this guy who I think would be perfect for your podcast. His name's Kerry Gassner. I spent a whole year travelling to Geelong with him in the car. He's got some great stories. He's got an incredible background in the police force. You have to get him on. So <laughs> I'm glad that we finally reached this moment. <laughs> we did meet this moment and... Uh that YouTube is uh, one to watch
1: for those who actually want to go out and watch that YouTube clip for Nathan's sake. So he'd uh, be quite embarrassed to be able to hear this. But, um, no, brilliant. Um, absolutely. I think stories about and connecting is about what it's, you know, it's got me to places where I, I never thought I would be. And I think to sit here and do this, I think, you know, some of the work that you do with sports grad is just amazing and that's that's what it's all about. So thank you, thanks, Nathan, and thank <laughs> you. To-
0: Another thing that we have in common, Kerry, is our shared appreciation for empty stadiums. So when I, was, when I was at Cricket Australia, one of the best parts was being able to go into the Hugh Trumbull Cafe at the MCG, flash your staff card to the MCC security guard, and go and take your lunch into the stand, and you'd be the only person sitting there in a 100,000-seat stadium. Now, I believe you have a similar ritual before each of the events that you work at. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? I do. It's uh, probably one of... Yeah, it is probably one of the one thing that keeps
1: me connected, and then it actually just... It just for some reason, and don't think of it as a weird one. It's actually just the aura of actually being in an empty stadium is quite, quite amazing. So um, Hugh Trumbull Cafe is always a good one to do, and I'm starting to get my team from MOP to go over there and and experience something different. But uh, to sit in, in a stadium for me is one of probably one of the most best experience you could ever do, and it doesn't matter whether you're at the MCG, John Kane Arena. Um, or used to do it as Young One Stadium, in, up in China when we were putting a game up in up in uh, the middle of shanghai wondering you know an afl game wondering what what are we doing up here but how how amazing it actually was to, to do it so for me um it's been the one thing that has always grounded me in the sporting side of things whether it's been you know professionally or personally um sitting in an empty stadium either before or after and before each and every show whether it's harlem globetrotters at john kane arena or whether it's a a grand final you know when my time at the afl just one of the best experiences you could ever have i think just to keep you grounded and makes you feel pretty privileged to be in the in the positions that we do in the sport so
0: and um not just sport as well like uh, entertainment too i believe the the foo fighters you were correct privileged to be able to see i know that they just had a, a tribute concert to um uh taylor hawkins yeah. over at wembley yeah um when when did the foo fighters con- uh, concert come through through you
1: uh, well that was yeah Right place, right time, but it, one of the, you know, you've got to be in the right place. But uh, we got a uh, call, so I was at Cadinia Park early this year, so I've only just moved across to Melbourne Park now, but uh, the start of the year was am at Melbourne Park and we got uh, told that we're going to have our first concert. Um, pretty exciting for the team down there. They're a brilliant team and, you know, Cadenia Park is, is is certainly going some places and we got um, word that we've got our first concert and um, never had a concert down there. That venue's never held um, anything of the like—it's always been traditionally football, but uh, we were—we were told that the Foo Fighters were coming on the third of December, um, which was quite amazing in itself. We don't have a ticketing build; we don't have how we're we going to get people in, how many people we're we going to put on the floor, all those sort of things. So that was all good and well um, until, at such stage, uh, the CEO and uh, Nat- uh, Jerry Griffin, who's there, and also Natalie Valentine um, tapped on my shoulder and said, "Can we have a chat?" Um, you know that third of December date. What if we were to say that they'll be here in three weeks? <laughs> um, so <laughs> we're sitting there and I double. No, nah, that, that can't be right. We're not, we're, how can we put on a concert of that of that size um, with three weeks? But um, sure enough, it actually was three weeks. So it was very much a uh, partnership with Always Live and you know the kick off and the, the bounce back of entertainment. You know within. Victoria, and you know there was a lot that sort of sat behind it, but uh, nonetheless, it was the Foo Fighters were coming to town in three weeks, so um, you know I was part of it. Very fortunate to be part of a team that sort of led the, the whole planning and delivery of the first ever concert at Cadinia uh, Park. But then we also sat there, um, you know, a day out, two days out, and listened to a sound check, and there's the Foo Fighters in in Geelong, which was, to be honest, amazing. You yeah. can't you can't beat it. But they're, they're the experiences now, I mean, that. Will go down. I think nearly in all of us, the small little team at Kardinia Park that we were all part of to to put that show on. But there was a moment where I sat in the stands um, the night before. Um, actually, Nathan will attribute to this that uh, it was pretty close to two in the morning when we finished the ops plan and everything. We just sat out there and you're we just sort of taking the whole thing in. It was just dead quiet, and then you just don't understand what's happening in 24 hours. Quite amazing, and the amount of work that's gone on, you know, from our from our team, but everyone else to actually put their show on was probably one of the great experiences you know you could ever have in in sport and entertainment and working in venues. So, pretty cool story. And yeah, I've got a son who just loves Foo Fighters, so <laughs> having him on um, FaceTime for the first song was probably one of the, the great experiences you get to come. You know, you get to do so.
0: Yeah, pretty good. Amazing. Well, they are obviously an, an international sensation, and yeah. to be able to grace Geelong is pretty pretty rare in itself, and to be able to stand on the on the stadium yeah. beforehand is pretty special as well. Now, uh, you weren't always working in sport. No. Um, to add a bit of context uh, to this conversation, I want to go back to your early career in the police force where you spent 15 years there. Yep. And then a lot of people think about jumping over to the sports industry, and you, mani- you managed to do that straight into the biggest organisation in the country being the AFL. And now you've gone on to... You went on to Godinia Park, you went on to Melbourne Olympic Parks and looking after John Kane, which I'm pretty sure Nick Kyrgios has said this is his favourite court in the entire world to, to play on. Um, <laughs> you mentioned some of the other shows you've looked after as well. But tell us a bit about your time at the police force. What sort of things were you dealing with back then?
1: Good question. Um, I was always going to be, a, I think, destined to be a policeman. I grew up in a policeman's, sun, as a, in a policeman's family, I should say, and uh, um, I went... Drove into I did interstate truck driving out of school. I didn't go to university. I didn't have that pathway that that sort of traditionally a lot of people that I went to school with and um, did furniture transport. But you know that was always you know I'm going to join the police force. So furniture transport you know I thought it was going to be for 18 months thereabouts. Lasted seven years. Absolutely loved it. On a P plate driving interstate trucks up and down the the highway. Um, but then there was a period of time when it was no I really want to chase my dream of becoming a policeman and. And uh, followed suit, so I did uh, fifteen years um, with Victoria Police. It was a, I was pretty destined to to want to become a detective. I certainly didn't want to go to traffic management, or I'd sort of, you know want to go to the air wing at one stage, but um, couldn't hold my breath underwater for long enough, so that one sort of slipped away pretty quick. Um, but I, yeah, I really had a passion for um, you know going to to become a detective. I think look. There is a connection between my dad. He was a detective. Those sort of things. So these things sort of, you know, when you're young and in your in your twenties, became at the forefront. So you know, you work hard, and I started out at Ringwood as a as a constable and um, became a detective at Preston, really young in my career, and then uh, was able to um, transition into the the crime command. So I worked at the Piranha Task Force Task Force for quite a while, not in in the murder side of things. So just to put that put that out there, but certainly came in a at a period with the Piranha Task Force Task Force, which is well known. Um, that led to experiences with two years spending with the Australian Federal Police on, on um, a couple of investigations there and then um, I had a, a real passion to go to the Homicide Squad. Um, it is one of those things when you're in the policing world and I know we're sitting in a sporting world but it's not too dissimilar where you've got you know a dream and you're, you're sort of looking to chase that and um yeah i ended up at the homicide squad which was where i always wanted to go was sort of where i thought where you can make the biggest impact you're dealing with people at their worst obviously but it's probably one of the most powerful places you could ever work um from a human connection side of things so you know you you've got that sense of belonging and purpose and you know and dealing with um, plenty of different people different stakeholders different you know whether it's the opp and the supreme court the coroner's court um but a lot of it was about the people um for those
0: who don't nice. for those who don't know what the Homicide Squad does, could you explain a bit about that?
1: Yeah, so um, basically the Homicide Squad, and it's still in the same form now, but they're responsible for attending and uh, investigating all suspicious deaths um, within Victoria. So wow. I don't want to go into too much detail here. It'll probably scare some of your listeners away. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, in essence, it's, you know, obviously the, you're looking at, um, you know, anything from a – um, for, you know, from a homicide or a suspicious death that needs to be investigated on behalf of the coroner. The coroner. So there's, you know, it's pretty broad. Um, there's no doubt. It's one of the, the most fulfilling jobs you could ever do. It's very dynamic. Um, operationally, you have to be very switched on strategically. A lot of those sort of things really come into play. Um, you're dealing with people and people at their best, their worst, you know, people that aren't quite nice. We obviously, some sometimes the. The offenders that uh, that you deal with are you know at a, at a totally different level from normal society. So you you know you're sort of confronted with those, but it's um, you know from a team environment and those sort of things, probably one of the best teams you could ever work in. I mean it's a very close bond, you know, between your teammates, and you have to. I mean it's just a, it's an elite part of it. You, you're very much charged with the responsibility of finding answers for families and. And those sort of things. So, yeah, it's – and I still hold it very dear to my heart and, you know, still one of the best places I could ever – ever could have worked. And to be honest, I wouldn't be at John Arena if I didn't have some of those skills that I learned through there and and gained that perspective there. It just sort of – it really ties in really nicely where I have ended up now. Yeah.
0: My God, I can't imagine how (laughs) stressful some of those situations would be. I'm sure you you probably get used to it and you start to – You do. um, Yeah, it just becomes – Part of part of the job. After a while, I'm not sure if that's right or in saying that or not. But no, it is. It's a
1: process. Um, You know, you're following a process, but you've got a a huge responsibility to the person. You know, to the families Mm -hmm. um, and to to the people. And that's where you get a lot of your you know a lot of your motivation and your drive and your commitment to to what you do. But um, you know, your decision making has to be spot on. You're you're making decisions, split second decisions that are going to be played out in a supreme court or a coroner's court two years later. Um, you nice. know, so there's, you know, there's a lot of responsibility there to answer for, you know, some of the actions that you've done there. And, you know, when you're dealing with a family on, um, at court and, you know, they're obviously they're looking for guilt and they're looking for, you know, the, the right outcomes in a, in a, in a court sense, it'll never bring back their loved one, but, um, you, you do hold a responsibility there, um, for them to, to provide the answers and do the best job that you can. So,
0: Yeah. Sorry, uh, we're at sports <laughs> ground. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's yeah. you're dealing with serious, serious stuff, which is yeah. very, very eye opening for I don't know some like myself who's just been around sport and yeah, know, we've got to put on a match today, or we've got to you know for us it's just running a podcast, and then to hear about your experience with you know yeah. these suspicious deaths is quite the contrast. So yeah. Um, now you mentioned to me that because uh, we, we previously caught up for coffee it was yep. awesome learning all about yourself before coming on here yep you mentioned that um uh you always thought the sports industry was completely unachievable but you managed to make that jump into straight into the AFL so yeah. what, what was the moment or when did things start to change for you that you thought the sports industry is an option for me in the future
1: yeah um Brilliant question because um, I was very much heading on the police path. So you do, you know, quite a lot as a, a leading senior constable and you know homicide squad. You, you sort of hit a, hit a stage in policing and you become a sergeant, then you become a senior sergeant. So there's a trajectory within the, and a pathway within policing, and um, I was certainly heading down that way. And uh, you know, your question in the sliding doors moment in relation to that, um, you know, that we prepared prior to the uh, today is. Um, was basically a coffee with a, a good colleague of mine um, we've had some um health um we we're very connected by a couple of health things that we've had we've both had um and he said hey I work in the, the sporting integrity intelligence unit which was a very small unit within Victoria Police but it really is it's a very unique one as well um and he says Before you become promoted, and this was on the way out of after I've just done my sergeant's exam, so it literally is on the day that I'll tick my box and I'm off, you know, I'm out of moving up, and he goes, why don't you come and spend a bit of time at Sporty Integrity and Intelligence Unit? So it's part of, basically, it's very much a stakeholder relationship um, unit that works with all the sports, so Racing Victoria um, the AFL, you know, you've got the Australian Open that comes in here to treat, you know, the tennis integrity unit that comes in from overseas for the Australian Open and now larger events. And, it, and it, it is basically set up, given that we're the sports capital of the world, but um, just a brilliant insight into sport. Now, um, in my personal life, I, you know, I had a real passion for baseball, you know, working, at, um, you know, doing a lot of coaching, uh, the Australian Pathways, ABL, Uh, the Australian Baseball League so I had this passion of sport and you know you go even go back to venues and those sort of things for a very long time I've just had this passion of sport loved it never thought it'd ever be attainable to actually be in it um so I said you know what and I said to my wife I said let's I'll I'll give this a go you know I'm a long time promoted so went across to the Sporting Integrity Intelligence Unit um very much looks at anti-doping and corruption and um, and a lot of those different things that impact their, the integrity of sport, which I think are pretty well known. Um, but over time um, there, it was it was really good to have the relationships. You're really being exposed to stuff that Victoria, in Victoria Police, you're not exposed to relationships and you're not exposed to building those relationships. Um, and over that time there, there was an opportunity to go and have a coffee with a former colleague at, uh, that I worked at, the Homicide Squad, that was at the AFL in the Integrity and Security Department there. Um, and, you know, just start an inquiries and start that network. And, you know, so you start building this network and you realise, hey, it'd be pretty cool to to work in sport. You know, imagine if you could actually bring your passions together. And I've, I've listened to a couple of your other podcasts of recent times. And it's such a common thing that everyone sort of says, imagine you could bring, you know, what you know practically in your professional life and what you're passionate about and bring it into one. How cool would that be? So that just started the thought process of maybe it is achievable to to be able to work with sport. but that would never have happened if I didn't have that colleague come and just tap me on the shoulder, said, "Come and work there." And it was actually I was going there to work with him. Just mm-hmm. a great opportunity to work with a colleague that I'm really close with for different reasons, and um, and that started the path. And then you know, going straight into the AFL, I probably didn't realise how significant it was, given how hard it is to get into the sporting industry. When a you know an investigator or the integrity role came up at the AFL and said, "No, nah, you know what? I'm, I'm on my way to policing and." Um, there's a common thing in, in policing, the golden handcuffs. You've got um, nine weeks leave, you've got superannuation, you're set for life, those type of things, real steady employment. Um, but I made the brave, you know, it was a brave decision. I spoke to a lot of people before that. People had made the jump and um, it's a big thing to leave policing and, and, you know, I was given a great opportunity to go to the AFL and, and uh, enough we went. So,
0: in, in making that decision, what was the uh, defining factor, if there was one?
1: gut instinct to be honest uh it was it was a it was a big decision you know you look at you know I've got young family morgan mckenna my, d- my daughter and stepdaughter uh, millie and your wife and you know you're putting yourself out into the i suppose what's the real world because policing is quite a confined world um yeah it, it was going with a bit of a, a bit of a dream and 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 taking that passion bringing it together and say you know what this is worth it you know and the I'd had some, you know, there's a couple of other things in a personal space, you know, I had a quadruple bypass when I was 34. So the, your perspective just changes over time. And it's sort of like, well, you know, imagine being able to do something that you love, do it well, and be in an environment like the AFL, which was, yeah, just, I took the jump, basically. Yeah. Just you've got to be brave enough sometimes and make, the, and make the jump. So
0: So it sounds like you've been through like this really thorough decision making process to change uh, to make it quite a drastic career change because you've got everything set up for you yeah do you remember the day when you got the call from the afl to say kerry would love you to be a part of the team yes vividly and it was probably one of the i was
1: gonna say one of the better days there because i look back at that day now i mean at the time yeah, it's excitement yep, can't wait, I'm going to get an AFL jacket, I'm going to go work at the AFL. I had no idea where it was going to lead me. And that's, you know, sometimes you just don't know where the end's going to be, but you take that initial step and then the opportunities that it that opened up, you know, of where I am now would never have even thought that. So um, the significance of that day now is probably profound on my sporting career where i sit now and you know in a very privileged position to work at melbourne olympic park and that that day there and that phone call was was good and shake coming in and shaking the hands and getting my brand new afl jacket and a nice polo and didn't have any branding on it which i was disappointed <laughs> in that but it was just some you know the afl got a long way to go with their branding on yeah, <laughs> do they know that but um yeah no, but that's that was the day that you know it started me on my journey now where i could actually realize the dream of Bringing your passion and bring what you know and, and transferring those skills into a whole new world. So.
0: and did did you keep your composure on the phone or were you in all sorts? Who, who did you tell first as well?
1: I had to ring my wife first. I had to do that. <laughs> if I didn't do that, but uh, no, I was with a um, couple of guys that, that knew you know the AFL side of things from the sporting integrity intelligence unit at that stage why are you doing this? Why do you need to get out of a big poll? You know, you've got all this set up and I'll say, well, I'm going to go, you know, give it a go. They looked incredibly supportive, but, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, I remember handing in my resignation to my, um, you know, to the uh, deputy commissioner at the time. He goes, why would you want to go to the, such a place of the AFL? You're set up here. And, you know, it was actually a, you're sort of taken back at the attitude. It's sort of like instead of, well done, hey, you know, this is a good reflection on Victoria Police. We've got people to, that can add value out, out, in, out in the real world and you're always welcome back. It was like, what are you doing that for? And i was like, well, <laughs> hang on, just here's my resignation, sort of put it on his desk and walked out. So, mm.
0: yeah. Gosh. Um, that role, though, of um, uh, integrity and security, it seems to be quite a natural path for people who've come from the police force. To jump into sport even when i was working with the t20 world cup um i was the team liaison officer but every team also had a security liaison officer yeah and these the two that i was working with were both police women who had taken a few weeks out of their job to follow uh, the new zealand cricket team around with us brilliant yeah um is what why does that skill set in the police force fit this integrity role so well
1: yeah that's a good question i mean because integrity i mean we won't Go down the rabbit hole of integrity, but there's sort of two people that really fit into in the mould. There's the policing, the operational, they're having the ability to investigate, um, you know, to knows that you know, understands the accountability required to investigate, and you know, and uh, in the in the sporting sense, but there's also the lawyer side of things. So the the legal side, and you know, and you can look at every integrity, the Essendon saga, all those how how legal and complex it actually gets in that space there. So policing, are, you know, some of the transferable skills with policing are. You know, you're, you're really good operationally. You 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 know, you have skills that, you know, um, that you can always look for risk well before it comes up. You have the ability to speak to people most of the time because that is just some of your core job. Uh, so policing, you know, in an operational sense, you have to be very planned and prepared and you have to be accountable to everything that you do. So a lot of those skills actually fit really well in the sporting sense as well. You know, if you're dealing, you know, you're you're, you're speaking to a suspect in a policing sense or you're speaking to a player, um, in an integrity sense, in in, a, in in the sporting world, it's there's not a lot of differences, but you have the ability to build that rapport. You understand the process; there's ways of being able to, you know, to to achieve outcomes, you know, through it under a good structured process. And you know, there's a lot of that now. I don't interrogate people, and I'm certainly not in venue managing now. But um, you know, there's there's ways that you can talk to me, build relationships, and policing has a real unique way of doing it because basically that's what you have to do. So
0: yeah, I also remember um. Uh, I used to have the desk right in front of um, Sean Carroll's office, who is the head of integrity at Cricket Australia, another yes. former cop who kind of fits that mould. Yep. Um, uh, he always had the door f- firmly locked, you know, always <laughs> wondered what on earth is going on inside <laughs> that room. Yes. <laughs>
1: Sometimes you do, it's yeah, <laughs> policing side of things, where, I mean I've got a head for it, everyone still thinks that I'm a police and I've got no hair and I still look like one, but yeah. Uh, He's a good man. He's, um, you know, and you look at his path now and what he does, it's 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 a brilliant role. But yes, sometimes old habits die hard from a pleasing sense, keeping everything wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely.
0: So, so you made like uh, another jump from integrity into venue management. In terms of that role, what does your day-to-day look like now?
1: Uh, a lot different than what it did in 2015, that's for sure. But uh, no, look, I, I have a, a, I'm in a very privileged position to work at Melbourne Olympic Park and um, I made that transition about four months, uh, like three months ago, from Kardinia Park, where I was given another great opportunity um, in that space there. But now, um, John Kane Arena and part of the Melbourne Olympic Park is we are, you know, you know from a government sense. So we, are, you know, we're a government entity. The Melbourne Olympic Park Trust is um, reports up to the sports minister and those sort of things. But um, you know, I think it's. Pretty very well. Oh, it's very well known that Melbourne Olympic Park and and everything that it offers is is very much at the jewel of you know venues within a, uh, within Victoria or Australia and even internationally. You know with the Australian Open side of things. So um, I'm one of five venue managers now um, that basically oversees a brilliant team, a front of house and a back of house team. Your front of house with your uh, two um, event managers and an event coordinator that you know do a lot, a lot of the the heavy lifting and planning of the events, and then a back of house team with um, you know basically pulling down uh, converting the place from a basketball court to a stage to a concert back to a basketball court all in all in the space of three days so they, they're a, a brilliant bunch of um, men and women who who work you know in, a, in our in our venue team and they're part of a wider network of part of melbourne olympic parks as well so you know there's just an it's a it's an incredible place to work, and when you when you you know I'm still learning, and I'm starting to see the the true breadth of what it you know the what the um what the park actually has, and heading into my first Australian Open, um will be quite amazing. So yeah, I have a privileged position of leading a, a brilliant team, and um, John Kane Arena is a, it's the workhorse um venue of of Melbourne Olympic Parks. We got anything from uh, the NBL to you know with the Melbourne United. South East Melbourne, Phoenix um, seasons, we yeah. have the Vixens and the Magpies and the Super Netball. Uh, we've had international basketball, we got international netball. We've had, I don't know the bands, I know Liam Gallagher, he came through a little while ago, but, uh, you know, we have a I range think, of bands. I think bands.
0: it was, uh, was Gang of Ewes <laughs> there recently.
1: Gang of Views is at Rod Laver Arena. Rod Laver, yeah. But, um, yeah, we, got, we had Glass Animals, um, we had Young Blood. Um I know we've got, you know the older people we've got the offspring coming up and then we've got flume coming through our venue so it is just a diversity and then we're starting to look forward to you know the australian open now the, the second phase of the overlay starting to be presented to us so the place transitions again so yeah it's an amazing position now to where i find myself very privileged very um, thankful to be where i am yeah, there's busy a,
0: there's a lot that comes through your doors i think these might be rod laver events as well but i recall going to a, a melbourne olympic park um Show to see uh, Fleetwood Mac, I think, came yes. recently. And yep. Jerry Seinfeld came a couple of years ago as well. Yep. Like the variety of entertainment that you guys host is it's incredible. It's
1: amazing. And yeah. and that's a crowd You've got Amy Park with, you know, all your, all your A-League and soccer content and rugby league uh, – sorry, yeah, rugby union, rugby league. Mm. Um, Rod Laver, you know, had Kiss, had five – I think four or five shows with Kiss with every bit of pyrotechnics and makeup that you could ever find. In that place, which is just brilliant, you've got you know, Sha- Shaquille O'Neal came through Margaret Court Arena recently and then Centrepiece.
0: Did you get to meet Shaq?
1: I didn't meet Shaq, no. <laughs> no, we're too busy over at our venue. This is the thing. It's sort of like, oh, you want to go over and say good day, but no, I didn't get to meet Shaq, but I'll tell you what, he's an uh, impressive, impressive fellow from what I heard. So, mm. Yeah.
0: What, what kind of strikes me as interesting about Melbourne Olympic Parks Trust is that it seems to be the centerpiece of, or, or the the glue that makes Melbourne the sporting capital of the world. Yep, because you've got the MCG, you've got Marvel, um, but it's really that like tangle of four or five different stadiums that host the Australian Open, that host the basketball, to host all these different variety of events. Yeah, that kind of join the MCG to Amy Parks, everything else that kind of. Creates this incredible landscape photo of the Melbourne sporting precinct, yep. and that's driven by Melbourne Olympic Parks. And you guys are right at the centre of creating this status for, for yeah. Melbourne as a sporting capital of the world. That must be quite an incredible thing to. It's be a amazing,
1: part of. yeah. And look, from a personal side of things, it's a privilege. And I know a lot of people talk about privilege being into in where we are, but it is. You sort of you do look at it, and it's um, you know it's, it's iconic, you know. And then you can't discount the fact that there's an Australian Grand Prix just down the road, and you sort of you get that snapshot and you go, how does Melbourne actually do this? We're just Melbourne people, right? And we are literally um, a destination place for major events and, you know, to be part of that and right in the middle of it, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. You, you might talk to Nathan who's done nine Australian Opens and the people at a TA and within the game. like, oh, here it comes again, but can't wait to, you know, to be part of those sort of things. It's We're very lucky. Um, we're very lucky in Melbourne to have what we have.
0: You mentioned how your, your policing skills correlated to the um – Integrity uh, department skills, how do they correlate to the venue management skills that you need?
1: Um, I think it's perspective now. So, you know, I'm certainly out of the days of interviewing and investigating and doing those sort of things. But, um, you know, those you know, one thing that, you know, we speak about, you know, we're certainly within our team and those um, discussions that we have is about perspective. There's nothing that we can't achieve. Um, and, you know, with the experiences that I've had, you, I've, I think, you know, my, your, your your threshold of understanding of, okay, that's if that's the worst, I've seen the worst. Um, and it's not to say that I, you know, um, implore that on the team at all, but it just gives you the ability to, you know, if the team are feeling a little bit um, stressed or quite, you know, there's things that aren't working and, you know, there's plenty of that that goes on in venues and events. Is, you know, you're able to apply a bit of perspective or a bit of a calming influence. The operationally, you sort of have you know, a bit of naus about you and those are the skills that you sort of, you bring across from um, from the policing. And then there's the accountability, like, you know, workplace safety. We've, you know, we've got, as I said, you know, close to um, 80, 90 tonne of lighting that has to, you know, come up and down. We've got stages and all those things. So, you, you know, yeah, you certainly understand the risk and those sort of things as well. So there's there's a lot of transferable skills that policing have taught me that, you know, to be honest, to walk into venues and I haven't had the traditional path of, you know, some others, that have come into the venues there, but there are skills there that you know are, are, are valuable.
0: When you say perspective, I'm picturing Kerry Gassner in the middle of John Kane Arena with, you know, say lighting's just coming off the roof and everyone around you is going, oh my God, this thing's going to fall or whatever. Yeah. What, what goes through your mind when you've come from 15 years in homicides and dealing with suspicious deaths and you've seen it all yep. and now you've just got like a bit of loose wire? Like what goes through your mind when something goes wrong now that you're in the sports industry?
1: It's a good challenge because you've got to hold yourself back because <laughs> you, you sit there and go, you know what can go wrong here but um, in a lot of ways you've got to trust the team in relation to that, you know, the safety side of the thing and a lot of it's prepare, preparation and policing uh, was very good. You had to prepare for everything prior to. So, you you know, if, if you have the ability to influence your team in, in good preparation, those sort of things that you sit there, you you do sit there with just on <laughs> is that right? But, um, you know, there's... I learn a lot from the team, you know, the our team, are, you know, and the people that come within, you know, and put these things up, you, you learn a lot and, you know, reverse mentorship is something that I really um, believe in and, you know, asking questions. So I become curious again, you know, how does that sit? I sat with their operations manager last week, empty stadium, and they're lifting, you know, 80 tonnes of truss and, and lights up there and I'm asking him everything about it, you know, and those sort of things. So, you know, having the ability, so that's good for him because he gets to explain and understand and, it gives me comfort that he knows, you know, the thresholds. He knows the compliance piece. He knows those bits and pieces, and so I don't sit there and go, "What is going on here?" I can't bear to watch this because I know what could go. You know, you in your mind, you know what could go wrong. So, mm. yeah. So these, um, yeah, it's, it works both ways. Sometimes you got to hold yourself back and level yourself out because you, you know. I think you do look at a diff- you look at things totally different. Um, from what you experience, but you you find a balance, and I, and I think that's you know that's a good challenge. It's something that I I try and work on.
0: Yeah, I, I can imagine you'd have a really and correct me if I'm wrong, but I reckon if I was working with you, I can imagine you having a really calming influence on the people around you, I hope j- so. just through. The, yeah. <laughs>
1: you left out the, the team, no, maybe, yeah. maybe.
0: Um, but is is that something you try to help other people with when you can see people are stressed out? Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. It's um. Leadership, and I think, you know, for any person even, you know, coming out of university or, you know, at, at any stage you think, if you have a real good um, passion to learn in the leadership side of things and it's always an evolving, you know, skill that you're trying to do, but, yeah, that leadership, yeah, absolutely. You you want to provide them a calm and, and a good environment and that's something that, you know, I know that I can do while I'm still learning a lot of things that, uh, yeah, to give that calming influence to them i think it's really important they they work at their best and i think you know as i said perspective you know i, I can sort of see, you know you know you can work through stresses it, there's there's a lot in the background obviously with events and venues that people do not see in the hard work and, and a lot of it you don't get paid enough for to do but the people that are very special in, in building their shows and putting on the experiences um, it's hard work it brings friction it brings you know, frustration it brings, you know, the, a whole heap of different things, whether you're tired or anything like that. So I do look, I, I'd love to, you know, you know, with the position that, that I hold now is provide a great environment for them to succeed and, you know, under you get them to understand their connection and their why and why they're doing it and just give them the perspective. Of, hey, come down a level, let's work through a problem. There's nothing we can't fix, so.
0: I, th- I think you mentioned at the start of the episode that you were sitting in the stands at 2am at Kodinia Park before the Foo Fighters, so... I'm guessing that speaks to the hours that you guys work in events. So yeah. it's probably no surprise that, you know, if you're working through till 2 o'clock in the morning and something goes wrong, yep. it's hard to expect everyone to, to keep their cool. Correct.
1: <laughs> yeah. 100% it is, yeah. But I don't, would, wouldn't ever wish on anyone putting a concert together in three weeks. But you're <laughs> right. I mean, it's, you'd, you'd sometimes you're sitting there going, well, there's no sleep. Mm. But that, I think that's, that's pretty well known around the industry. And I think, you know, how you'd manage that, the show will always be delivered. Um, and it, it's at what cost, and and how you get there, and the pre- preparation, and and how you know how your team responds, and how they work together, and um, and providing that is is the real key to success. Because ultimately, the success is joined within the team. Because you know the work that's being put in, and you see the smiling faces at the end of it. So.
0: Mm. In, in terms of like the the rostering or the hours you guys work, how, how's that change between when an event is close to being going live and and when it's in planning mode, and um, I know a lot of people would, would listen to the hours that I'm guessing you're going to mention and think yeah. that's ridiculous. Like, you know, as soon as it's it five o'clock, I'm out of here. Um, so w- what sort of schedule do you have and do you like it? Does it bother you sometimes? What's it like?
1: Personally, I'm okay with it because you come from a, you know, I've always worked in shift work and getting called at three, out, you know, getting called out at three in the morning and that disruption, um, I wouldn't recommend it for a longevity, <laughs> believe me. But um yeah, events are very similar. I mean, you know, there is there is periods and I think one of the keys, you know, for all our teams and, you know, when you're dealing in that space, in the event space is um, knowing when you need to push and knowing when, they, when you know, there's a good opportunity to recharge and do that and, um, you know, there are hours now, like we're coming into VSSS, you know, the hours have slowly increased over the last... Um, week and a half and you know our team are you know we're starting to work shift work i mean we do have the luxury i mean this is you know some venues don't have the luxury of having resources and we're very blessed to have resources at melbourne park where yeah those hours so you might be working you know our operations team are working till two three in the morning at the moment you know with all the lighting production and all the back of house things that need to be fixed and you know set up for the for the actual show so yeah the hours become a lot I mean I think it's and then it's an understanding that, you know next week we've got a week and a half before the NBL or a concert leading into the NBL is, is a really good period to recharge so you, you know you, you do have that flexibility and I know a lot of people talk about flexibility post-COVID but you know you can work from home if you're doing settlements and those, And that's um you know I know that's a, a real big focus of the park now from management and those sort of things is is, is learning because events are coming back. Um, content's coming back we're making up for two years of lost content and it's only just going to get busier and busier so it's a real challenge now for us to be able to to manage it but there are long hours that do come with it and it's how it's managed it's going to be the key so
0: yeah i've heard um uh, a number from one of our former guests and uh friend of sports grad from spark event group yep. whose name is geordie miles managing director yeah in his good early podcast days. by the way thank you he
1: was good i like that one excellent hey. I'm glad
0: yeah. you that. <laughs> um you might remember he said he worked i think like a a 32 hour shift or something he was yeah. working at night uh, white night in melbourne yep did some ridiculously long shift then got called into something else decided it wasn't worth going home to sleep before his next shift continued on yep and it just kind of like broke him after that at, yeah um so the yeah, when I hear stories like that, and even some of your experiences too, it's like yeah. wow, the events world is is crazy at times. It's <laughs> yeah.
1: dynamic, and that's a, but you've got to you've got to celebrate your wins. You've mm-hmm. got to, you know, the, that Foo Fighters show. You know, we're an extremely small team down at Kardinia Park, well led, and to be honest, a lot of the cultural aspect of that actually got us through that because that was pretty stressful. But that was you know there were thirty hour days going in. Oh sorry, I shouldn't say 30, <laughs> yeah. there's not even thirty hours yeah. in a day. <laughs> 38, you know, there's time just it just because you, you, you're you in the about it, but you've got to celebrate the success. I mean, being in that privileged position to put on the shows and give the experience, mm. um, some of the best team moments you could ever have out of doing that. But you've got to, yeah, you know, this day and age, you, you really do have to look after your staff.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It does break you if you're not careful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, w- I want to talk about mentors for a bit because you mentioned uh, the bloke who helped you Open or helped open your eyes to the possibility of sport whilst you're becoming sergeant. Is there anyone else who's helped you at any stage of your career with where you are now?
1: Um, yeah, the, and hopefully good fathers. Uh, I'm going to mention the father. I know that's the easy one, but uh, he's you know he's been a brilliant person. That's you know just always supported. And I think it's reassurance. And you know I've heard in a couple of other podcasts sometimes. With mentors, and I think it was um, the CEO of Champion Data that I listened to the other day, Libby Owens. Yep, had a great comment in relation to what mentors are. You need to do most of the work yourself, but a lot of the times you're just seeking the reassurance: Am I making the right decision? Am I doing it right? And that reassurance just keeps, you know, that allows you to take yourself to the next level. And um, you know, I, you know, Jared Griffin and um, and uh, Natalie Valentine down at, you know, Cadinia Park. You know, I can't underestimate, you know, for me in the transition into Melbourne Park, what that period was down there and, you know, they, and what it is. And, you know, I know, you know, you can always pick up the phone around those because there's some, just some brilliant knowledge around the venue management side of things. And now as I step into Melbourne Park, there's some really good people in in there. There's an Andrew Travis that sort of sits there, a huge amount of experience, you know, Danielle Bleesby who i report into now, that you just get all these different perspectives. And I think... Um, you know, each and every one of them. As as every opportunity comes, some mentors might fall away because you know I don't use people that I really respected in the police force so much around that advice. You sort of moving, you know, as a transition through the different phases to where I am now um, is having that good network and the ability to reach out and ask questions, be curious, um, and have that. And a lot of the times, your curiosity. If you know, I know if someone comes to me curious about thing, you're like, hey, yeah, I want to help, and you want to you want to do that, and you become that mentor type person to it and a lot of people have helped me to you know to get to where i am and it's um i would never underestimate mentors are incredibly important they just come in different forms and i think you, just, you know one bit of advice is always be open It, you know every bit of advice is an opportunity whether it's good or bad and it you know it doesn't have to come from you know one person or you just totally respect and love and um those sort of things but it, each and every one just plays a little part in in relation to providing that perspective or where you're traveling and yeah you know, reassurance which is is pretty important so
0: J- just on the topic of like um getting advice like w- what's the feedback system like when you're at the police force
1: yeah that's a good question depends who you are <laughs> 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 got to be careful with this one um feedback's really good there's some look policing is one is a brilliant profession and i you know I would still recommend it as a job and um and those things now um yeah the feedback can be quite hard there's there's you know, policing is a is a paramilitary side sort of thing. So you sort of don't sit in that military environment, but you also sit a little bit. You know, you'd have a rank structure, and there's always that sort of feeling he's above me. And you know, what's your registered number? Um, feedback comes in in plenty of different forms. There's a lot of good people now that have, and policing shifted as well. Like, you know, the understanding of leadership and um, the true leading of men is and women, I should say, is is incredibly important now um, and has become a focus. Whereas previous. Previously, it was very, you know, yes, Sergeant, no, Sergeant, salute, you know, those type of things where, it, you know, it can be quite difficult. And I, I think in in a society that we live in now, leadership and there's, you know, there are brilliant, you know, I think Victoria Police for in in some part are, are really starting to transition to that. And there's there's a lot of legacies, you know, with policing that come with it because it's a very unique um, side of things. But it, it does, it comes in different forms. But saying that, you, you know, each and every experience that should come on now, it sort of, it, it plays a part for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I was interested because we've we've heard a lot about feedback in an elite sporting environment, say at an AFL football club. It's pretty hard and yep. fast. You get yep. used to dealing with that. So interesting to hear how it's delivered in in the uh, the police force. And yeah, um, is is it delivered better now that you're working in sport and in an office? Or
1: I I think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're you're really you're working at a totally different level. And um and I think there's some brilliant AFL has some brilliant leaders within it I mean you know people have their own judgments around different um, different areas of it but it, it is it, the environment you do it, it can be quite direct at times but sometimes that direct feedback delivered in the right way and articulated in the right way and I think you know since I've been in this phase of my career the people who I really respect deliver it in a really and articulate the same message whether it's instead of coming over the top and being that real direct way which we you know which can just crush people because you you've got to be really mindful and empathetic to the other person we're people first before we are venue managers at the moment so
0: Mm. yeah i'm I'm glad to hear that you listen to the podcast i'm interested in your um history of the the youtube channel because the very first interview i did on the youtube channel was with a guy called jim Kaler. he spent nine years at the cleveland cavaliers and uh one of the first questions I asked him was, you know, what do you look for in graduates when they're applying for jobs with the Cleveland Cavaliers? And um, he went on to say uh, a lot of good things, but then one thing to avoid, and that was when we see the superfan coming through the door, we get nervous in a hurry. So that, that essentially we don't want people who just love sport. Don't come to us if you just love sport. Um, and one thing that you've mentioned a couple of times is Having that connection to your events and having that connection to why you do what you do, and so I'm interested to hear what's what's your connection to the sports industry and the events and, and your job at the moment.
1: Yeah, um, connection for me goes back to truck driving, and with, you know you're responsible for someone's furniture, and you're, you're making a you know that's the word you know moving house for an individual can be one at a time that is really important to them. Um, Policing is very similar, and you know you work through those. Uh, those different periods and homicide, you know, at homicide, you, you, know, you have that connection and you're, you're working for that person in that sense of direction and in sport. Now, you have the ability to impact their story. Um, now, whether that's part of your team, but the attendees and those sort of things, um, my connection to that is, you know, and, and it's a lot of self-reflection in relation. If you look at all the different career changes um, or the, you know, the three main career changes that I've had, is, is it's always been centred that I really enjoy providing people with experience. Now, that's just come in different forms for me. Um, and for now, you know, what we do, um, we put a smile on a, a young girl's face who's come to her first netball, you know, just to see her hero play there. We we go to the glass animals and, you know, that's a totally different demographic, but there are people sitting in that, those just absolutely loving it, um, and you see those smiles. And, uh, you know, one of the, the real things that I implore on our team is, every event is go out and listen to a song, go watch five minutes of play and just sit there and look at the smiles and what you actually do to, to keep that connection because that's what you draw upon when it gets tough, those late hours and those sort of things. So that connection there. And, and for me, that's um, that's the important part because you, you lose that connection in the industry that we're in. Um, yeah, you I think you lose quite a lot. You, you lose the privilege, a sense of um, how much you are making an impact and how much you are bringing... Um, enjoyment to someone's life and it could be you know a, a, a lady at um and i won't i'll keep this really sure but I had a lady at um cadinia park at food fighters who was coming in on a walking from. can i get you in you know it's just a, a an opportune moment to get her in and out of the, the crush she had her, um, her son and two daughters there they were in tears um you know just i said is everything okay she said yeah I'll, i've got cancer this is the last opportunity for me to go away with my, my family, so I said, "Well, come in here." And we—I took her right up to the front of the stage, and or to the front of the, you know, the floor, and gave them, a, you know, those sort of things. But um, for me, that's—you know—she's now passed away. But that experience for them means the most. It's not about what we did, but Foo Fighters meant so much to that family, and that's one out of thirty-two thousand people. So you've just added—you know—you've had, had the ability to. Uh, to provide an experience for them that it's, it's individual and and that's where I get my connection from and that's where, you know, now that I've had the privilege of leaving a team and, and those sort of things is always understand the reason why you do it because it'll be different but also your connection to why you do the space, you know, work in the space that we work in which is, as I keep saying, it's privilege. That's amazing.
0: That, that's amazing. I think it, it's such an important thing and it's really – cool and inspiring to hear that you've made that a ritual as part of your work yeah you know part of your work isn't just to get to work on time it's to go and connect to the stadium beforehand because you've mentioned longevity a lot of times i think you're right it is easy to get burnt out in the sports industry yeah and as you say you know if if you just spend all day every day looking at the run sheet and thinking about what's happening at what time you forget about what you're actually putting together and yeah um yeah that's that's an amazing story that you've been able to yeah um, share with us there
1: that's brilliant. That's um, it's why we do it.
0: Yeah. Um. Before we wrap up, I want to um, uh, share some final pieces of pieces of pieces of advice. Um, and um, to kind of add a bit of connective tissue to this, w- one other great thing that uh, Nathan O'Brien has created from all of this by introducing us, <laughs> is uh, by leading me to you. Yep. I've been able to connect you to my mate Darcy. Yeah. And which has just been incredible timing because he's a f- great friend of mine, similar age to me, been in the police force a few years and is having similar thoughts to what you've been through about. Oh, I want to change to the sports industry. Yeah. And so but to be able to connect him to you, and from what I heard, you had a two hour conversation to um, help him with what he's dealing with, which is just amazing to think about. Yeah. Um, and you know, before recording this, you shared that you've connected him to other people at the AFL, and so amazed. I'm look forward to catching up with Darcy at some point to hear how that's gone. But yeah, I just want to—I'd love to hear uh, from you. What were some pieces of advice that you gave to Darcy that might be able to help some other people out there who are thinking about making a career change?
1: Good question. Um, Darcy, no, I suppose it was one. It was a great intro. He is a brilliant person, and um you know to your listeners and those sort of things but a really good centered head on his show really good perspective so we connected really well so you know he's he's i'm sure he's a brilliant friend to you but um you know he's a little bit nervous about leaving and making the jump now whether it's policing or you know any career move you know me to go to geelong you know living in um the eastern suburbs in the base of the, the rod in geelong that's a it's a decision you know you're nervous you've got to go with it but it, you know ultimately it can assist you and you you know you need to balance things up but um, I spoke to Darcy. In a, you know, we we're just sort of building the broad base of capabilities. Um, you know, you, people can go. You know, we've got a graphic designer in our events team, and she she did a university of graphic designing, and now she's you know leading our events team. Um, there's so many different pathways, but if you build and look at every opportunity as an opportunity, or every moment or incident, and it doesn't have to be, it could be the small thing. And I spoke to. Um, Darcy, around you know, as a, in policing, you get to work. You can volunteer to work at a football match or a cricket match, and you know, be that policeman that walks up and down the aisles. But that there is an opportunity for him to understand venue management. How does uh, you know major event work? How does the um, you know the structure and you know all the different things that come with? There's an opportunity to learn, and you know, there's I think there's every time you get an opportunity to, to build your deck of cards. Um, you just never know when you're going to deal that card. Um, You know, for me, there's quite a few different things. So, I look, it's a personal thing, but, uh, you know, and this was advice that was given me, just building a broad base of capabilities gives you the opportunity to deal when you're ready. Um, And it gives you, and it opens up opportunities. So there's a huge part around networking and having a great network and having, you know, all the different things that come with it, but being a good person and advocating and those sort of things, but building a deck of cards, you know, and it could be from anything, from, you know, being able to to talk to someone or investigate something all the way up to, you know, putting a a truss up. It's Everything's an opportunity. I never thought, you know, working up in Shanghai for the three years for that AFL, which no one ever cared about, but that gave me some great perspective in relation to international events. It opened up um, international events like the Formula One Grand Prix and, in Japan those sort of things everything's an opportunity I got offered do you want to work at this event yes I do want to work at that event volunteering so much I went in my baseball side of things I went I, I met Billy Bean by volunteering in that space and got over to the Oakland Athletics and you know did a coaching internship with them so every opportunity and but each one of them now play a part in where I am so building your broad base of capabilities building your deck of cards because when that opportunity arises you've got something to deal and put it on the table to say you know a prospective employee and say yeah you know what i can i can bring x y and z i might not be the traditional person but i can bring this this and this and i, and I wouldn't be here if you know that didn't work you know with andrew travis and the people of Mel- melbourne park that gave me the opportunity to where i am now so so,
0: so you were doing all these things whilst you're working in the police force you kind of had your day job and then you're doing these wide-ranging things around it
1: Policing um, during the police force. I always had. I've been part of baseball all my life. That's mm. just been. You know, it's like playing footy. Um, but you know, I was coaching uh, state teams, um, which led to MLB academies doing some scouting um, and working in there, and that sort of opened up opportunities to go to the states and and you know spend that time with Raymond Dr- uh, sorry, with Oakland Athletics. Um, you know that now. Those that, that some of those coaching and meeting some of the the, the people in that organisation. Now you sort of you're just meeting different people in different perspectives. Mm. Perspectives. It's leadership coaching is its own, but you can transfer that into now. Mm. Um. You know the study side of things. You know, doing my, you know, an MBA. That's why I wanted to stay out of the police force. I needed to build those skills in the background from a sporting business side of things, and did my MBA. But that that ta- that takes you to Real Madrid. That takes you to spend three three weeks with at Real Madrid and. Um, those things, but they're all little things that you start learning and you start building this capabilities you understand the worth of brand. I mean Real Madrid is the biggest brand in the world, and you you're learning about brand, how good is that? You know those little opportunities that you do, you just start building them, and then you know they're the they're the stories you start telling in your interviews, and you know they're the they're the things that start giving you the confidence to take you know to take the next step into you know whatever sporting career you do. so. It's hard I've been rejected in areas and, you, you know, the AFL sort of, you, you know, you want to get to certain things and opportunities don't arise but over time, you know, the bigger, broader base of capabilities, you can, you can make your way. You can get there.
0: I love what you said about they're the stories that you share in interviews because ultimately it's the interview that gets you in the door and, Correct. You, and you've got to have something to say. Yeah. And I think one thing I love about your story is that the extra activities that you're taking on, outside of your job just just don't stop yeah you've got to have this body of work to be able to present you've got to have a story to tell at the interview yeah it's not enough just to do one thing and expect that to be enough yep and um what's really interesting to me having talked to a bunch of different people at different stages of their career is that that doesn't changes yeah no. so we we had a conversation with um uh, brant hubber who's just got his first job uh, well he's been working at the AFL in a customer service role for a little while yep. but just got his dream job in the commercial partnerships team. Yeah, And he's only, I think, 22 or 23, and when he laid out his resume to us, it was just like experience after experience after experience after yeah. experience. Amazing. So he's, he's got heaps of things to talk about. Another example is um, uh, Carlo Kasparian in episode 20, way back when... He started volunteering at the at the age of 29. Yeah. One person said to me during university, uh, you know, when should I stop volunteering? And I said to him, well, when someone gives you a job. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And so I think a lot of people think, oh, I should only volunteer until I, you know, am a certain age or at a certain point. Yeah. But then you've got p- people like Carlo who are like, I'm going to put my ego aside and get out there and volunteer because what yep. I want is a job in sport. Yeah. He's now the general manager of – Digital and marketing at Football Australia. Amazing. When the Socceroos qualify for the Qatar World Cup, it's his team who's creating the TikTok videos of Andrew Redmayne doing the oh I wiggle. saw that yeah. yes doing, amazing yeah, yeah. doing yeah, the, yeah. the goalie wiggle and the final save yep. like one of the greatest moments in Socceroos history absolutely he, he's the person at the helm yep and he's gotten that opportunity because he's volunteered and so to add to these array of people who are doing all this extra stuff yep you've got yourself who's made this amazing career transition based on all the extra stuff you wanted to do too so yeah. i think that's great advice to leave on that you've got to build out your deck of cards because yep. you need to have something to talk about in the interview and you're an incredible example kerry so um thank you yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on this podcast no
1: nah, absolutely and congratulations to all the work you do i love what you do so you and right it's awesome
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kerry. Um, I absolutely loved connecting with Kerry when we first caught up for coffee. So to have this conversation and flesh a few more details out of him was was incredibly special and insightful. And we kept chatting all the way down the hallway as he left the studio. But a couple of things to take away from Kerry. Uh, number one, if you are making a career change, ask yourself, what does your deck of cards look like? Should you be doing more? Can you be doing more? Is what you've what you're doing at the moment enough to present to someone like the AFL and say, hey, this is what I've got to offer. Can I have a job? You heard the array of experiences that Kerry built up over a long period of time to make that jump into sport. Having that deck of cards and a wide variety of cards is incredibly important. So can you be doing more? Are there opportunities in grassroots clubs, in charities that you can take on to build up your experience to say, hey, I've, I've dealt, with all, dealt with all these different situations. Um, I mentioned uh, our friend Carlo Kasparian. At the age of 29, he started volunteering for the Chelsea Football Club Foundation. So there might be charities out there. There might be grassroots clubs. There might be a mix of both that you can put your hand up for and volunteer your time because that experience is what ultimately counts at the end of the day. Secondly, Learn to be able to separate your skills from the industry. So you heard Kerry talk about all the different things that the police force was able to provide him. He was able to articulate that to the AFL and say, I've learned this in the police force. This is how it can t- help me in the AFL. And the reason why I wanted to highlight this is because we come across a lot of people who say, oh, I've never worked in football before, or I've never worked in cricket before, oh, I've only got a background in engineering or IT. You know, does that still count? And in some cases, we'll see their resume and they don't even include their experience from five or six years in another industry. So I think the important thing to take away from Kerry is that all of your experience counts. It's all about how you articulate it. So definitely don't remove the experience that you've had because that's part of your deck of cards, but learn to be able to say, hey, the things I was doing over in engineering, they actually correlate really well to the sports industry for these three reasons. And then if you can articulate why you want to work in sport, and if you heard Kerry talk about his connection to what he does, then that's going to be the kicker that gets you the job. If People can clearly see the skills from another industry transferred into the sports industry and how they match what's on the job description. And then if you can tie a bow around that by telling a story about why the sports industry is important to you, then you're going to be hard-pressed to be knocked back by anyone. So there's three things to take away from Kerry. If you're making a career change, build out your deck of cards, learn to separate your skills from the industry, and finally, learn to tell your story about why you want to work in sport. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to dive into a couple of other episodes, I think one you'd enjoy is one with Carlo. He was episode 20 way back at the beginning. Uh, Also, I mentioned Nathan O'Brien a number of different times. He's on YouTube we should get him back for a podcast episode, but uh, he was one of the very earliest YouTube interviews. So if you search sports grad on YouTube, you'll be able to find that interview there with a very awkward looking Reuben Williams. Otherwise, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Send us a personalized note if you enjoyed this episode. We'd love to chat with you there. Otherwise, join plenty of other people trying to find a job in sport in the sports grad community. If you want to connect with people in the sports industry, jump over to there to join head to www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash community or you can head to the link in our show notes to join also if you love the show we would love it if you left it left us a review left us a rating five stars preferably if we say so ourselves uh, otherwise make sure you follow on spotify and subscribe on apple to make sure you don't miss any future episodes thank you for listening we'll see you next time